Good deal. Let me make sure I'm on here. There we go. I think I hear me now. That's a good thing. Thank you so much for coming, and especially if you're a guest here today, thanks for coming and sharing with us as we kind of launch into our Christmas season. And if you happen to listen to the Baptist Hour yesterday morning, uh, then I kind of went over our schedule. we got some great stuff um, coming up just to help us celebrate virtually every, matter of fact, every Sunday. There's something special um, at Doorsville, sometimes in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon, but it's going to be a great season, and I just hope that you'll come back week after week as we celebrate Christmas. Now, we also launched today our new sermon series. Oh, several years ago, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, uh, probably three or four years ago, that I started every uh, Christmas season, and we would do a series that was entitled The Song of Christmas. And the idea was that we would take a different song every year and then build our sermon series around the lyrics to that particular song. We've done some traditional uh, carols uh, throughout that time, and I've really enjoyed doing it, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. And this year, um, we want to use the song, Mary, Did You Know? And if you know anything about that song, it's just a wonderful collection of thoughts and ideas about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you might say, so what's the story behind Mary, did you know? Well, the year was 1984. I was 30 years old. I really can't believe it's been that long ago, but I was 30 years old, just getting out of the Air Force, and um, Mark Lowry, and he was a gospel, and is a gospel singer, and a comedian, and uh, he was asked by Jerry Falwell to write the spoken parts for their living Christmas tree. And uh, so, so he started thinking about those thoughts, and I'm not sure how this tied in as far as what he did, um, but he obviously was thinking about Jesus and about somehow about Mary. That came into it. And one day they were sitting at the kitchen table, and his mama said this. His mama said, well, you know, one thing for sure, uh, Mary knew that Jesus was virgin born. You know, Mary knew. And then I think that started him thinking, going, so what else did Mary know? Of all the things, did she know that he would walk on water? Did she know that he would open the eyes of a blind man? All those different thoughts in that beautiful song, Mary, did you know? Well, he finished the poem, and Judy said, well, did it make it into Jerry Falwell's presentation? I don't know. But I know this, he sat on that for seven years. Seven years. And finally, in 1991, he called a guy named uh, Buddy Green who I think is Irish, by the way, just a side note. And he was a a songwriter and musician. And he said, hey, I've got these words that I wrote seven years ago. I'm going to send them over to you, and would you see if you could put some music to it? And so he read the words and instantly thought that, you know, a minor key would work. And if you've heard the song just then, you kind of hear that minor key. And in 30 minutes, he wrote the music to Mary Did You Know. And I know it's not as big as I can only imagine... Uh, But it is a wonderful song of Christmas that's become a favorite of so many people. So as we have opportunity throughout this Christmas season on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, we're going to take phraseology from that song, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the amazing stories of Jesus. The big title, Mary, Did You Know? The Amazing Stories of Jesus. So I thought to do that, we really need to take, I need to warn you probably, Let, let me just warn you, this sermon might be goulash. Okay, you know, goulash, you take some of this and some of that and some of that and you put it together and, and boy, it comes out somehow t- tasting wonderful. Well, I really want to take our time today in the front end of our sermon, so don't think we're chasing rabbits. I want to take the front end of the sermon and just say, well, you know, Jesus, 
why, why do we even know about Jesus and, and this amazing thing we call the Word of God? And then we're going to camp finally in Matthew 14 and tell one of the amazing stories of Jesus. But have you ever thought about that? Why are we still talking about Jesus? Now, I know I've shared with this story before, this truth before, but, you know, we need to be reminded because in it, you know, I agree with those lights thing. You, you put the stinking lights up, and then they don't... I'm, I'm going to let you know on a little secret. I've learned to test them before you put them up. Last night, you know, Judy had about three things she wanted done at the house as far as decorations go. And we have this little tree we've had at least for 25 years, and it's a tomato cage, and we wrapped a grapevine around it. So it's a grapevine Christmas tree. And every year we put it out. Well, this year, you know, I get it out. You know, the lights look new, so I plug that sucker in and nothing, nothing. I lost my Christmas spirit. It didn't take me long. It didn't take me long. So I go up into the attic looking for Christmas lights, and I found three sets. So I plug in the first set, and guess what? Yeah, they didn't work. Set number two, they didn't work. Set three, finally worked. And guess what I did with the old lights that didn't work? I threw them away. Yeah, they won't be there next year. Let me just tell you. They won't be there. But anyway, so, so often that happens. You know, it happens that, that we do those kind of things, that we, we test it out with Christmas and all those different things. Well, we need to be reminded, okay, just like the lights remind us of why we do Christmas, we need to be reminded that there's no logical reason why we should know about Jesus Christ, with the exception of this. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. He was, he was born a, a poor Jewish boy in a part of, of town we should not even known about, okay? There's no logical reason, yet we know more about him than, than all the Caesars put together. And the reason why is there was no other person like Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that. Especially as we launch this Christmas season, we need to be reminded that this man, Jesus, we talk about, that, that like two-thirds of the world associate Jesus and God together, okay? And millions and millions and millions of people have put their faith and trust believing that he was the Savior of the world. We need to be reminded how amazing and how magnificent it is that we even know who he is. Now, let me read to you from, from sec, excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. And by the way, we'll eventually get to the sermon sheet. Don't freak out. If you need to use some of those lines, feel free to use some of those lines to take notes. But listen to what 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says. This sh- it shows so clearly how Jesus is a one-of-a-kind man. Um, there is one God, Paul writes, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a great set of words from God's Word. There's one God and there's one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Now, to really appreciate that, in case you're here and you're kind of new to church, okay, you know, all of mankind, the Bible says, every person is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And over here is God, and He's holy, and He's perfect, and He's so unlike us. And we were, like, totally separated. And then God, in His love gives us Christmas. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, down to earth. And yes, he was born of a virgin. That means there was not an earthly dad involved. There's a heavenly father. He lives this like perfect, sinless life. He goes public at age 30. And for three years, he goes about literally changing the world. And then he dies on a Roman cross, something like this one. 
It wasn't a plan gone bad. It wasn't like, like, oops. It wasn't one of God's oops. God didn't have oops. You know, he died on purpose because the wages for sin was death. Someone had to die for our sins, and Jesus did it. And when he died on our sins, God offers up the greatest Christmas present ever and says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's just an amazing, wonderful truth of who this Jesus Christ is. So, so he comes, he lives, and he dies and resurrects on the third day. Nothing like that. And he all did that to reconcile, to bring, to bring sinful man, all of us as sinners, and perfect holy God to bring us together, to reconcile humanity to God. He did that. And I love this last verse, verse number six. Um, he gave his life, Jesus gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That every person who is bound by sin can be set free from that sin by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, he, and then God throws out this cool message. Listen, this is the rest of verse 6. This is the message. This is the message that God gave the world. Now what verse pops into your mind? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the message that God gave the world at just the right time. Have you ever wondered why God waited all those years to bring Jesus into the world? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, from Genesis forward, from Genesis forward, you know, God's whispering the name of Jesus. They say you can find Jesus in every book and every chapter. And all of a sudden, after Malachi, bam, he shuts up. 400 years, God says not a word. And then Matthew comes. Then Christmas comes. Then Jesus comes. And, and Paul said it in Galatians chapter 4, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 this way, that in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law. At the right time. You know, there was, there was a, a, the Pax Roman. There was Roman peace. There were Roman roads. Uh, the, the, the Aramaic Greek was the common language of the common man. Everything was in place in time 2,000 years ago. And God, after 400 years of science, says, now, now is the time. And he gives us Christmas. It's amazing. I mean, what a wonderful story of redemption. And look at me. He did it for you. For you. For you and for you. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were worthy. He did it because he loved us. Just because he loved us. And that's really a wow factor if you let that soak in. I know. We wrestle with it because somehow we think that we're God's gift to humanity. No, we're sinners. And God, out of pure grace, extends his love and forgiveness to any man, woman, child, regardless of race or social status or creed. He invites every man, woman, child to come into a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. Jesus was an amazing man. Along about the same time, and this is not Song Sunday, but, but along about the same time when Mark Lowry was writing, Mary, did you know? About that same time he was writing the words to that song, Sandy Patty was singing a song. And I know some of you say, Sandy who? And what kind of name is that? Sandy Patty, argumentatively, was one of the greatest female artists there ever was. And I told Judy when I was in college, 
I had, this is back when you had under dash CD players and FM radios. And I had a truck and I had my little CD player in those things. And me and Sandy Patty and Larnell Harris would have worship every time I went to college and back from college. And, and we talked, to, you know, she sings this wonderful song. Let me read the words to you. Again, probably breaking a rule, you shouldn't read this many words, but listen to this. It just says how amazing, how amazing Jesus is. It says, He promised us, and this is the scripture you read, He promised us that He would be a counselor, a mighty God. And the Prince of Peace. He, he promised us that he would be a father and that he would love us with a love that would not cease. Well, she says, I tried him and I found his promises are true. Can I have an amen there? I've tried him and I found his promises are true. He's everything he said that he would be. The finest words I, I know could not begin to tell just what Jesus really means to me. And then she says this. He's more than wonderful. Then more than wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart can believe. He goes beyond the highest hopes and the fondest dreams. He's everything that my soul ever longed for, everything he's promised, and so much more. He's more than amazing. More than marvelous. More than miraculous could ever be. He's more than wonderful, and that's what Jesus is to me. So this Christmas season, season, we celebrate a man who simply is amazing. A man like no other man, the God man, 100% God, yet 100% man, the only man to be virgin born, the only man ever to die and resurrect and stay alive forever. This year, we celebrate Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now, on top of all that, there's this amazing book. And again, we've talked about this before. This is nothing new. Um, please ask, he says there's nothing new under the sun anyway. But this is an amazing book. You know, 66 individual writings, okay, uh, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written by 40 authors. Now, let this soak in. 40 authors over 1,500 years. And the thing, this wonderful book is a, a scarlet thread woven with the story of Jesus beginning in, in Genesis and going all the way to the book of Revelation. You know, for, for years, and in fact, probably still is the best-selling book ever. In fact, you know what? The Bible is the most stolen Bible in the world. You know, I guess because people in hotel rooms, they still I don't know. It's the most stolen Bible that there is. And, and, you know, the biggest, I guess, competitor to the Bible, if there is one, would be the Koran. And, again, I'm not trying to knock Muslim faith. You know, I'm not, that's not my point. My point is this, though, is that there are constant revisions to the Koran. You want to know why? Because when, when Muhammad wrote the Koran, he got progressive revelations. And so uh, one revelation might contradict another revelation. Okay, and they have they have a committee, okay, that's established to go through and try to figure out what is the latest revelation, because the latest revelation would supersede the earlier revelation. Well, let me tell you something for the holy word of God. There is no such committee. For the word of God, it has stood. Now listen, some of you young people who struggle with God, is God real? Let me just tell you, use your common sense. Here is a book that has stood the test of time, not for decades, not for centuries, but for millennia. Let your common sense kick in. It's a book that can be trusted because it is a book like no other. Believe the word of God. 
Believe the Word of God. It is a book that can be trusted. And you know what? I just got blessed. I am blessed when I read the Gospels of Jesus Christ. I'm amazed at the stories. I'm amazed at what he did. And then I read John 20 again and read John 21 again. And I had one. Brenda had an aha moment. I just had an aha moment. Let me aha you. If you have, if, 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 we, if you don't get aha, let me know and I'll try again. And it could be a long sermon, so you better get aha. Okay? Here we go. Here we go. Listen, listen. John 20, all right, verse number 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. See, we often think this what we have here is all that Jesus did. John says, oh, no, no. He did many other signs that are not written in the book. What we have in the gospel is exactly what God chose to show us and to give us. Okay? He goes on and gives us the reason now for the book. But these are written, these things are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you may have life in his name. So, so as big as the Gospels are, the miraculous stories of Jesus, John says that's just a sample. You know, how many of y'all have ever been to Sam's Club before? Yeah. Have y'all been on sample day? Oh, man, if Pooter's not along, I'm in heaven. You can go to station after station and, you know, you sweet talk to people there. Hey, how you doing? You having a wonderful day? What do you got here? And that way they give you the biggest peaks. Okay, so so you go up there and you get a sample. Now, now they have I have a reason. It's a free lunch. Okay, especially on sample day. And then secondly, their point is I'm going to let you taste. So you'll buy the whole thing. I want you to buy into the whole thing. So they give you a taste of a cinnamon roll and they want you to go back and buy the whole package of cinnamon rolls. Well, well, what we have here, God has given us his miraculous, wonderful sampling of the life of Jesus. And the whole purpose of it is so you'll buy into the whole deal. He tells us enough about Jesus, so we have to slap our forehead. Don't do that again. Slap your forehead and say, man, this is incredible. This has got to be true. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This, this is better than the Cubs winning the World Series and Notre Dame winning the National Championship. That's not going to happen. But anyway, that's another story. God gives us a sample. But can you imagine when we get to heaven and we get the whole deal? Can you When all of a sudden, John 20, 30 is no longer true, where it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in the book. And all of a sudden we get to heaven and we know it all. And we start going, He did that? He did that. Hey, 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 Brent, he did that. Hey, he did that. Hey, Judy, he did that. He did that. He did that. We're going to be blown away. But it gets better. In verse John 21, 25, just write these verses down. These are really good verses. John 21, 25. Now, there also were many other things that Jesus did. John talking again. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, if he wrote down all of them, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? John says, 
If me and the boys, if Peter and, and James and, and the other writers, other writers, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did in three years, the world could not contain the books. You want to know why he's more than amazing? Because he is. And we only know half the story. You can't, listen, I can't now, I can't wait to get to heaven and go, oh my goodness. You know, I already figured out we're going to be wrong on a lot of things. We're going to say, really? You know, really? The, the, the Presbyterians were right on that? Really? I just can't wait. It's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. So we have this amazing man, Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man, who could take sinful man and holy God and make a bridge for them so every man, woman, and child could come to relationship to creator God. We've got that. We've got it recorded in a book that is amazing because it can be trusted. It stood the test of time. And in that book, we have wonderful stories, amazing stories of Jesus Christ. And that's where we start today. Matthew chapter 14. I don't know if we're going to get to here we come a caroling. Here we go a caroling. We might not get that far and that's okay. Because again, as I develop this message, as God spoke to my heart about what to share with you today, I realize we may not get that far, but there's just some aha moments there. So in Matthew chapter 14, now we have one of those times in Matthew 14, 22, we have one of those times when Jesus, okay, is going to do something miraculous. The Bible says this. Immediately, this is the miraculous part, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Let me read that again. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, when I see the word immediately, that to me is a sense of urgency. Y'all read that? You get that? Immediately. He made disciples get into the boat. Notice the word made. He made disciples get into the boat and go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, am I the only one in the room who would go this morning and go, why? Why? (laughs) We did a Jim Hayes funeral yesterday. And, you know, Jamie was saying how with Jim Hayes you could say 2 plus 2 equals 4. And you think that's the answer and that's the end of the discussion. But Jim Hayes was famous for going, why? And he always challenged you to think, why? Well, again, why? Why was it so urgent after, you know, after what's happened before, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Why? Why, why is the urgency? Well, I want to share with you. We got to back up. And this is where I said the goulash might come in. It's intentional rabbit chasing. <laughs> so we got to back up one's place, and then we got to back up two. Okay? Now, when Jesus in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says, in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus, now get this, are you ready? That Jesus was led by the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Yeah, I know. That's one of those ones you guys shake your head at. I mean, God loved His Son, but He's led by the Spirit. Into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Okay? He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And so the first thing that Satan throws into his face is, Hey, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? Now, the initial thing is, is the, is the you know, 
God wouldn't care if you did. After all, you know, you don't need God. You can do this. So he's, it's kind of like a doubting Thomas situation, okay? And by the way, if God loved you so much, why do he let you get 40 days without food anyway, all right? Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? But there's something bigger here. If you look at the temptations, you see there's a temptation that God, excuse me, that God is trying to, to hoodwink him and that Satan has a better idea. You need to write that down. Satan's going to tell you God's trying to hoodwink you and that he's got a better idea. After all, we all know that Jesus is coming to be king, ultimately. And so Satan is ultimately saying, you know what? If you want huge success with the people, what do you do? You give them bread. I mean, come on. Look at the politics in America. Promise to people everything and they'll vote for you. And so, so Satan is saying, hey, all you, you, want people, you want to be a king? You want a following? Forget this cross thing. That's painful. Here's what you need to do. Just start turning stones into bread, and the masses will follow you because they want free bread. How about that? <laughs> and Jesus said, well, you got to know this, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. So, where does that fit in? Well, right before the immediately he made the disciples get in the boat... He fed 5,000 people. And he did it miraculously. Now, not because Satan said to do it. Totally unrelated. But the principle of what Satan said is going to be proven out. Feed the people, and they'll follow you. So he feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children. Some estimate around 9,000, 10,000 people. He feeds them, amazingly. Had some, had some fish and chips. Okay, Had some bread and had some fish that day. All right. And then... Jesus knows something. He knows the first part of John 6, 15. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Just like Satan said. Feed the masses and they'll make you a king. So Jesus knows the disciples aren't quite there yet. They, they would probably jump on board. They're arguing about who's the greatest. You know, Jesus, you're going to be the king, and we're going to be the princess. They haven't bought into the cross idea yet. They haven't bought into the idea, I'm going to Jerusalem and die. And Jesus knows this. And the urgency is, get them out of Dodge. Because Jesus knew that they would be very tempted to jump on board with the masses and say, hey, come on, Jesus, be king. And Jesus cares enough to get them out of Dodge immediately. And here's what you need to know. God cares enough about you to get you out of Dodge. I know we don't understand all the stuff that happens in our life. I know we don't understand loss of job, loss of health. We don't understand sometimes the brokenness that comes into our lives. But I'm telling you, as children of God, we've got to learn to trust Him that He knows better than us. The boys didn't understand it. The boys didn't get it. Okay? They obeyed. They got into the boat. Although it does say He made them get into the boat. They may have been reluctant. But Jesus knew what was coming and they couldn't handle it. So he says, boys, you need to get out of Dodge and go to the other side while I dismiss the crowd. Are you willing to trust God? Even when it doesn't make sense? Are you willing when God, when God does something that you just can't get your arms around? Are you willing to say, okay, God, I don't understand, but I am willing to trust you? That's what we need to do. Well, 
It goes on and says, so verse 14, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 23, after dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. That's so interesting. So apparently, Jesus knew the crowd was going to go south. So he says, boys, y'all need to get in the boat and leave. And as he's dismissing the crowds, because look at John 6, 14 again, 15. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he sends the disciples away. He starts dismissing the people, and here they come. We want you to be king! We want you to be king! We want you to be king! He finishes dismissing, but then he goes up to the mountain. And what does he do up on the mountain? What does he do? He prays. He prays. What do you think he was praying about? I mean, don't you ever... Am I the only one wondering what he prayed about? I'm not the, I know there's one thing I think we can say with absolute certainty, and there's probably two. And they're both great lessons for us that we learn from the amazing Savior. The first is this. We can say almost certainly he was praying for the disciples. There's this interesting verse. Okay, now remember, 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 boys, get in the boat. He sends them off into the sea. It takes him a while to dismiss the crowd. And then he doesn't join them in the boat, okay? Rather, he goes up on the mountain to pray. And here's that little verse. This is Mark's version of this story. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. I love this. It shows the miraculous power of Jesus. Certainly by now, it's dark. They're at least a mile away from the shore, and there's Jesus. He's got his eye on them. That's a good place for an amen. Because you see, sometimes you're in the darkest night of your life, and it's good to know that he can see you straining at the oars. Anybody ever strained at the oars before? You're struggling with life. You're doing everything you can, it seems, to keep your head above water. You're trying so hard to save your marriage, save your children, save your job, save your character, save your character, make the right decisions, be people of integrity, be the man, be the woman that God wants you to be, be the student that God, you're pulling and straining at the oars. I don't think I'm out of line at all. That just like he has eyeballs on the boys, he's got his eyeballs on us. Where's Mama T at? Hey, his eyes on the sparrow, Mama T. His eyes on the sparrow. He's got his eye on us. He sent them off, by the way, into a storm. But don't you think for a moment he forgot them? Don't you think for a moment his mind was not on them? His heart was not on them because it was. So he was praying for them. He could have gotten the boat with them. But that wasn't the plan. He sent them off. He went up to a mountain by himself. He prayed. And while he's praying, miraculously, he can look out a mile into the lake in the dark and see the boys straining at the oars. And he's praying. But I think there was something else, maybe. Maybe. Because, again, if it was, all, if it was just about the boys, if he was going on the mountain just to pray for the boys... He could, have, he could have gone straight out and walked on the water earlier. He, he, could have, he could have got in the boat with him and said, Come on, boys, we're going. He could have caught the second boat. But he didn't. He went on the mountain to pray. And I wonder if there's something else he needed to pray about. 
I wonder if you need to pray about this king thing. You know, Jesus, again, 100% God, but 100% man. I think he may have known he needed to get with the Father and just confirm the relationship. Make sure, Father, I know that your plan's best. Now, come on. Can we be honest? If, if we could have, didn't he pray in the garden? God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. I mean, this dude, man, again, we went over this like three weeks ago. You can't imagine the human suffering of the cross. Mutilated. Mutilated. A body that was barely recognizable. Holy God becoming sin. The wrath of God poured out. Another way might look tempting. Of course, there's one problem. The ultimate goal was not to be king here, but to be redeemer here. And there was no other way. But it seems he went up on the mountain. Because see, we got the, temp- the second temptation of Jesus back in Luke chapter 4. This is part of the goulash. You need to know this part of the story too. Because Satan will do this trick to you. Look, let me read it to you. Here, here's Luke 4, the second temptation. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms. He's Satan. Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Satan said, you see that kingdom? You see that kingdom? You see that kingdom? You see that kingdom? You see all these kingdoms? He showed them all in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Hey, Jesus, you want to be a king? Let's skip the cross. That hurts. I'll give you all of this. It's been given to me to give away. I'll give it all to you. Oh, the price? Well, if you then, verse 7, if you then will worship me, all will be yours. Jesus, I'm not expecting eternity here. I'm not asking you to worship me forever. Just for a moment. And you know what? No one will know because it's just me and just know how much that was tempting to Jesus, but it's sure tempting to me sometimes. When there's a dangerous and painful road ahead and Satan comes along and says, I'll give you anything you want. All you've got to do is worship me for a moment. You want happiness? Just worship me for a moment. You want riches? Just worship me for a moment. You want popularity, students? Just worship me for a moment. You want power and authority? Just worship me for a moment. It's very tempting. And we need to know that. See, that's where I love where Jesus, you know, the book says that we have a high priest priest who is tempted like we were in all points, yet without sin. Jesus said, Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Satan get lost. So we have him on the mountain. Certainly praying for the disciples and maybe praying about the king thing. It just seems that there's more reason why he's there than just praying for the boys. And then we get the rest of the story. Verse number 24. But the boat was already over a mile from land. And it was battered by the waves. Because the wind was against it. Anyone here ever been battered by the winds? 
battered by the waves. You've strained at the oars, barely keeping your head, and the waves are crashing and slapping against your life. And you wonder, how much longer can you survive? How much longer can you take it? Verse 25. Around 3 in the morning, I think King James may say in the fourth watch, from 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the morning. Remember, joy comes in the morning. (laughs) 3 o'clock dark to 6 o'clock dark. Now, I want you to get this. If it was, if it gets dark around that time of the world, probably, oh, can we say, we'll be generous and say 9 o'clock? That would be late. And it's now 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. They've been straining at the oars for six hours, Tracy. Six hours. We get mad at God because He don't answer our prayer in 15 minutes. They've been straining at the oars for six hours. They have had the waves battering them for six hours. And you might say, where's Jesus? He's on the way. He's on the way. Which goes on and says this, around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Come on, somebody say amen. Now, now this one, you know, we preachers love to make mountains and molehills. We like taking either kind of truth and making something big. This ain't one of those times. Every commentary of people smarter than me thought what I thought. That this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. The waves were threatening the boys and the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the very thing that is threatening them. Now listen, you need to get this. Don't you sit there half asleep waiting for lunch. You're going to need this truth. I don't know what you're going to face in your life. I don't know what's coming next next hour or day or month in your life. But it could be catastrophic. And whatever it is you're facing, you've got to know and you've got to believe that your God is bigger. That your God is stronger. Now listen, listen. This, this petty ways faith of ours, that ain't going to cut it. This, I go to church on Sunday, ain't going to cut it. This, I don't need to pray. I know Jesus did, but I don't need to pray. I ain't going to cut it. When you come and face the catastrophes of life, you've got to have a faith that is anchored in the true belief of who Jesus Christ is. So, so he comes walking to them on the water. Tra- I love this. Listen, listen. They, this one says this. This says walking. In Job 9, 8, here's what it says. Who alone stretched out the heavens... And trampled the waves of the sea. The the CSB says, treads on the waves of the sea. The New Living Translation says, marches on the waves of the sea. Oh, it's good to know that I'm in a boat. And the waves are battering the boat. And the wind is strong. But my Savior is going to come walking up. And he's walking on the very thing that threatens me. H.B. Meyer says this. H.B. Meyer says this. He uses the element we dread as the path of his approach. 
He uses the element we dread, the circumstances we dread, as a path for his approach. The waves were endangering the boat, but Jesus walked on them. He marched on them. He trampled them. He treads on them. But Jesus walked on them. In our lives, our people and circumstances, we dread. But it is through these that the greatest blessing of our lives will come. If we look through them to Jesus. To Jesus. Wow. That's worth the price of admission. If we can honestly get this down to our heart, that this amazing man that we learn about through this amazing book in this amazing story comes to them treading on, marching on, trampling the very thing that threatens them. Wow. Wow. In verse number 26. So when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were terrified. Why? Why? They weren't looking for him. If they had been, if they had been men of faith, concentrating on the fact that Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side, if they were focused on that truth instead of the waves that were battering them, they would have been expecting Jesus to show up. We, listen, we've got to be intentional that we are looking for God in the storms of life. We, we have got to believe he's going to show up. We have got to believe he's going to show up. So they were terrified and said, oh no, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And here's what Jesus does. Immediately, verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Why? It's me. It's me. See, Jesus dispelled the lie of fear with truth. Jesus dispelled the lie of fear with truth. You can have courage. You don't need to be afraid because it's me. And I'm telling you, this me can make a difference. Do you believe that today? You've got to believe that, guys. You've got to believe Jesus can make a difference. That Jesus is going to show up in your greatest hour of need. Because he does. He does. Now, he may not perform like you want him to. His answer may not be the answer you want. But again, it goes back. He's smarter than us. He never makes a mistake. He's too loving to be unkind. He'll be there for you. I, it's funny how things pop into your brains at, at, at strange times. I was riding back in the coach. They call them. They don't call them Hearst anymore. They call them coach. Going back from the cemetery back to the Methodist church um, to to have lunch. And we were talking about this guy, and he said, "My wife is buried right over there. See the white flowers on top of the thing." And I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Yeah, she died seven years ago." I said, "Really?" I said, "How difficult that must have been." He said, "Yes, it was." And then he started telling me a little bit about the story about how he missed her more now than he did the day she died. Died in three weeks, by the way. Remember I told you, catastrophe? She was perfectly well. Got sick on a Sunday morning getting ready to go to church. Three weeks later, she was dead. Pancreatic cancer. Don't tell me catastrophes can't come. Don't you tell me we don't need to have strong faith in Jesus. Don't tell me that we'll build our faith in the midst of the storm because we will drown. 
we will drown. So he said, have you ever heard of Alexander McLaren? I said, well, the name sounds familiar. He's a Scottish preacher. And he told me a story from his childhood. He said, Alexander lived in Scotland, and there was um, a place, a recess in the ground, a valley, if you will, and the local folklore was that all kind of terrible things happened there. There were monsters in the valley there, and all the children would avoid this valley of darkness. Well, one night, he was late getting home, and it was night, and storms were coming, and he needed to get home quickly, and he determined that he was going to go through this dark valley. So he stood on the edge of it, wanting to move, but was paralyzed by fear. And then he heard his name. Alexander! Alexander! Did he hear that? Alexander! And then there was a flash of lightning, and there he saw his father coming toward him through the valley. Alexander, I've come to bring you home. Through the darkest valley, I've come to bring you home. I don't know what dark valleys we're going to face, but we have a God who tramples our greatest catastrophes arrives at just the right moment and says, I'm coming to bring you home. And that's amazing. And that's the amazing truth of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you do not need religion. You don't need church. You don't need to start this habit and start that habit. Stop one, start another. The answer to what you're looking for is this amazing man named Jesus Christ. We would love to tell you how we met him and how you can meet him today. We have a time of decision in just a moment. My friend Brent will be standing down front. And we will invite you to come. I know there's a couple, 300 people in here. You say, that's scary. I know, but trust me, it'll be worth it. Trust me. Just come and say, hey, Brent, I want to know about this Jesus. I want to know about the man who died for me. And, and Dwayne said there's a promise that if I will turn from my sin and believe in him and trust him and follow him, I can have eternal life. I can have heaven and I have forgiveness of sins. I want to know about that. And we want to tell you about that. But also, is there someone here today who's been straining against the oars? You're so tired. Your arms feel like logs. You've pulled until you can't pull anymore. Is there someone here today who's the waves have just battered and battered and battered against your life. Would you like someone to just pray with you this morning? You already know Jesus. You just need some help. Find that way to trusting Him completely. You need someone to just say, I'll pray with you that in the midst of this storm, you'll trust Him. Pray for faith for you. We'd like to give you that opportunity also. More than amazing, more than wonderful. That's what Jesus is to us. Let's pray. God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing these truths today. God, I want to pray. I know it's, it's came from so many different angles. But that's good, Father, because different angles means it can touch different people in different ways. 
So, Father, there's someone being tempted by Satan to, to accept an alternative path. Father, the truth they heard today, may that help them. Father, may we, if there's someone here who needs redemption, who needs a rescue, the truth about Jesus today, draw them to yourself, Father, please. Father, for those of us who often strain at the oars, who are beaten down by the waves of life, oh, may we see you coming. And may we not be afraid. May we have courage. Have courage, knowing it is you. Please have your way in this time of decision. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.